This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. We're back, and the grass court season is upon us. Billie Jean is back at Tennis Podcast Towers London, and it kind of feels like all's well in the world again. Catherine's here, Matt's here, I'm here. Catherine, it's so lovely seeing Billie Jean. Is it nice <laughs> seeing her in person? It kind is, of? Or in dog? It is so much loveliness seeing her <laughs> in person, yes. Yeah, she can't wait to see both of you two in person either. Marvelous. Or not? Well, she's not a person, is she? In no. dog. Yes. Mm. So that's all going to happen in a couple of weeks from now. In fact, two weeks from now, uh, as we come to you on a Sunday evening, we will be together ahead of Wimbledon. And we're going to have daily podcasts throughout Wimbledon. We've, we're going to have two Wimbledon relived shows in the week leading up to that, which will be available for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. And uh, yeah, we've got our massive great review show of Roland Garros up there already, if you want to become a friend. We had a lot of fun doing that last week with uh, Mary Carrillo and Chris Clary from the New York Times, Simon Briggs of the Telegraph, and our very own Hannah all contributing to that show. Um, and now we're ready to talk about a completely different surface because it's grass court time. Um, and... I mean, a lot's gone on already. It's, we, you just get plunged in, don't you? Because I've never done this before, I've never been at the French Open and come back and suddenly the grass court season is on. I've always been embedded in the grass court season for some weeks by now without having actually kind of covered the French Open on site because of my years at Queen's. But it's it, it's it's bedlam, isn't it? The way it's suddenly just, it's all, it's all over the place. And, and Catherine, you've been down at Queen's today. So what's it been like to sort of see grass up close after two and a half weeks of clay? It's incredibly jarring, quite, quite honestly. I mean, it's sort of wonderful as well, but it's, um, I don't know whether it was by design or by accident, but there's something very poetic or maybe anti-poetic, I don't know, about the juxtaposition of the clay and the grass seasons, because you just, I mean, you could not get a bigger contrast. Grass is so pristine and and prissy, isn't it? And clay is just, it quite literally is dirt. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you leave Roland Garros and somehow, despite the fact that you've only spent time in the media centre, you are dirty. You're covered in <laughs> clay. I don't know how it happens. Um, and yet, you know, you leave you leave Queen's and you feel like you've sort of become upper class somehow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible contrast. Goodness knows how the players manage the adjustment and the pressure of knowing you have so little time to adjust. The grass court season for most players is two tournaments and one of those mm. is a grand slam. Um, so you've got to perform the most drastic shift, surface shift, in the shortest possible period of time. It, it's yeah. it's quite something, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It, it makes things interesting. Whether it's actually the setup most conducive to producing the best tennis, I don't know. Um, I spoke to well, I spoke to a lot of players today, but Francis Tiafo made it very clear that he wants there to be a lot less of a clay court season and a lot more of a grass court season. 
Um, he feels very strongly about that. Mm. And that's, I suspect he's not alone. That's very interesting. And, and that has always been the thing that we've all talked about since since the beginning of time involved in the sport or even hearing about the sport have a longer grass court season it did extend by a week when Wimbledon moved itself back but it's so difficult to achieve but those words suddenly don't seem quite as empty and and fleeting to me now that I've covered a French Open I now understand what the at least what people who work the French Open feel like, and goodness knows how the, the the players actually feel. Today, I was I was actually at the other grass court tournament in the UK in Birmingham because um, my kids were taking part in a in a kids' day, <laughs> which was uh, which was a lot of fun to be around. Um, and David's it, kids took David to a kids' day. That's I what did, happened. I did quite enjoy it, um, <laughs> but um, you know, it's it, it was interesting because I've never been to that event because I and, and yet it's down the road from me it's 20 minutes from where I live but because I was I've spent 25 years working Queens I've always been down there so it was it was interesting to see that and it's obviously a much smaller scale tournament just physically and um, in terms of just the amount that's invested into it spending wise and all the rest of it but it's got certain charms of its own really and I think they'd opened up qualifying they'd got the half the state the sort of center court was open and they were playing matches there um and Donna Vekic was qualifying and and doing like an on-court interviewing for having qualified like for the crowd and and those were nice touches really I thought but yeah the it is I agree with that word jarring I think that that's a good way of summing it up and the other thing that was jarring to me I don't know whether you found this Catherine was that for the first time ever, I, I I experienced Matt Roberts having a crash after a tournament, uh, just a physical crash, and not being able to function for a couple of days. Normally, that's our domain. Matt, how are you feeling now? Now I'm happy to report much better. Yeah, it's been a it's been a slump of a week. I'm not going to lie. I have been in a post Paris slump for real. Um, I think maybe missing Queens a bit as well. Normally, normally I get on site at Queens after Roland Garros and that sort of adrenaline gets me through. Not this year. And then also just, yeah, a bit of a weird week of tennis. And I think what you're saying about that uh, juxtaposition of clay to grass, I think the thing about the grass court season being so short as well is that all eyes are kind of immediately on Wimbledon, aren't they? You know, I think with other swings... The first few tournaments, you at least settle in and then you start thinking about the Grand Slam that you lead up to. I think certainly the way I look at it is grass is very much everything pointing towards Wimbledon. And I just think a few of the results this week, because of the Russian and Belarusian ban at Wimbledon, genuinely, some of the results, you kind of think, well, how instructive are they for what's going to happen at Wimbledon? Because a lot of the players who've done well are not going to be at Wimbledon. So there's then there's sort of that extra element to making this this grass court season just a little bit weird, I think, as well. Mm, yeah. Well, let's let's start by talking about some of those results and and one of which goes hand in hand with the the tournament that Catherine's going to be working at covering presenting for Prime Video at Queens and that's Andy Murray because he's due to play Queens he is coming in having played two successive tournaments because he played Surbiton as well ahead of this uh, this one that he's just played in Stuttgart he reached the final and I mean he beat some serious players along the way he beat Alexander Bublik I saw saw all of these matches he beat Stefanos Tsitsipas and he beat Nick Kyrgios to reach what is his first grass court final since Wimbledon in 2016 which which is astonishing, really, to think that he that it's that long, that it's six years ago that that happened, but also that he's managed this at all, really. That given the, the physical state he was in and how much grass I think demands of the body, um, I, I was really bowled over by what he what he achieved and how good he looked. I mean, he really looked like I don't want to say a contender for the Wimbledon title, and I and I and I. I, but I would probably have had a, a bit of a conversation had he not been injured today about his mix-worthiness uh, for for Wimbledon. But the, the fact is he, he's faced Matteo Berrettini in the final today. Berrettini, who's 
coming back off three months out of the game with injury and Berrettini won it, but it was seriously competitive, 6-4, 5-7, 6-3. But in that final set, Andy Murray has done something to himself. Alan Crooks and in the crooks of PA reports his comments that it's not the hip, although he was sort of you know, reaching down in that sort of area, but it was more something to do with the, an ab. But concerning, Catherine, I think it would be fair to say, encouraging and then concerning. Yeah. Um, look, if 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 that injury hadn't happened today, I, I would have been, you know, if, if, if we had recorded this podcast that a set all um, after Murray had won that second set of the final, I would have been totally open to having the mix, the the mix conversation with you, re Andy Murray and Wimbledon. I think, you know, I'm not saying he would definitely case closed have been in the mix, but it would be, it would have been a totally legit conversation, partly because of how well Andy Murray had been playing this week in Stuttgart and partly because of how small the mix feels in men's tennis at Wimbledon. It's been such a closed shop on that surface. Wimbledon has been the least open Grand Slam by far to non-Big 3 members over the years. But then today happened, and it's it's too soon to know how worried to, to be, but my reactionary response is extremely worried and and gutted for him because that was by far the best, most convincing, decisive tennis I've seen Andy Murray play in in five years, um, quite frankly. I mean, I don't think that, that statistic about first four, top five uh, victory is, is, a, is a quirk or anything. I think that, that means something. That was his, his biggest, most convincing win for, for five years. Probably since that, well, you probably have to count the first half of that 2017 season as, as well when, when we know he... He was basically functioning with one hip, but certainly for five years. So aggressive, crafty, serving well, dominant, really. Just didn't feel like he was hanging on at any stage. You know, even the wins of late, you've, you've felt like Andy Murray's been clinging on a little bit. And that's been fun. It's been a, it's been a typical Andy Murray-esque thrill ride. And, you know, those... Those gritty victories are something we've come to really enjoy from Andy Murray, but it's also a, le- a relief watching him just look fit and in form and comfortable. Um, and he he did do right the way through to the, the beginning of that third set of the final. It was an incredibly competitive final. I mean, Andy Murray against Matteo Berrettini, who, of course, himself is on the comeback trail, um, from hand surgery, this this is a, a massive week for him to be winning this title. But up until the start of that third set, Murray was winning the majority of the rallies. Now that's not to take anything away from Berrettini, because you know a lot of a lot of grass court men's tennis is serve, and Matteo Berrettini's serve was almost unplayable. It was a testament to Andy Murray that he was in that match because Matteo Berrettini, with one of the best serves in the game, particularly on grass, was serving at 96% first serves in. It's extraordinary. I mean, I mean I've, it, I've not seen anything no. quite like that, really. I think it, it was he, he missed two in about 57 serves, his first 57 unbelievable. serves. Unbelievable. I mean, when, when Andy Murray could get a, a racket on the ball... He was, as I say, winning most of the rallies and a real mixture of sort of big forehand winners. You know, he's really, it's, I don't know what Ivan Lendl says to him to make an overnight dis- difference or an overnight seeming dis- difference to the Andy Murray forehand, but something happens. He hits it with so much more conviction. Um, why he can't just sort of record an audio file of <laughs> whatever it is that Lendl says to make Save the forehand Save himself a fortune. Click. Just, just, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Just pop it on before bed every night. <laughs> yeah, you're like a hypnosis. Mind tape. you, do you want to be hearing Ivan Lendl before you go to sleep every night? Maybe not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, but then also, you know, court craft. You know, clever tennis, which is what he's he's able to showcase on grass even more so than any other surface. I think it was a joy to watch. Mm. Um, and then, and then we see him lying on the ground in pain, receiving treatment. To, I, I know the, these, crooks, these quotes from Alan the Crooks say it's the ab, and that's, I suppose, a relief to hear. 
but the treatment looked very hippie to me. Um, a very I don't know how how low do one's abs go. But then my mind also goes back to <laughs> Rafael Nadal getting treatment for remember was it his back and then it ended up being a broken rib was it yes or yes something like that I can't you know some of these things it's just so hard to diagnose. There was one potentially I don't want to say encouraging because an injury is an injury and that's that's never encouraging but if we're looking for you know clinging to hope that it's not worst case the fact that it came on right at the start of the third set just after Berrettini had taken quite a long bathroom break after the second set did make me wonder whether it was it was Murray's body just freezing up on him a bit going a bit cold I remember that was one of the real gripes he had with Sitsipas at the US Open last year he said you I, I can't be dealing with these really long breaks because my body gets all stiff and sore when I've been running around and suddenly I have to stop for 10 minutes so I did wonder whether it was that kind of injury and, and maybe not just a something really serious but maybe just an in the moment freezing up of the body sort of, a sort of lock up yeah and he was really having to roll in serves by the end look it, it didn't look good and I agree it's it's quite possible that there's a something more serious at play there but I'm I'm desperately clinging to the fact that maybe it's something like that because I agree with you it's been such a such an encouraging week for Andy Murray I just sort of made me realize how little I'd thought about him you know, with a metal hit this week because he was playing so well and moving so well and looking so good. You just want him to have a, a clear run at it, especially at this time of year. Um, I guess we'll find out more in the coming days, but it's possible that it was that. I'm, I'm quite happy to cling with you, Matt, <laughs> to be honest, because uh, I, I don't really want to face any sense of... Uh, oh, I'll, all... I'll cling too. Yeah. We're all in this together. Right, let's just mm. let's just hug. <laughs> hug, hug the, the Andy Murray hug prayer the circle. <laughs> um, but um, because I think what we saw over the course of the week, I got my evidence for what a grass court specialist is, or, or at least a reminder of it. Because I I found myself asking, I think I'm probably just asking you two when we were in tennis podcast Towers Paris about, well, what is a grass court specialist? Because why I don't understand why what what the difference is. Maybe I just couldn't remember. Well. One match of watching him against Stefano Tsitsipas was enough to to make me realise. And you'd got... I thought Tsitsipas was playing okay in that match, but his his okay doesn't work on that surface, really. And, and his attempts at adapting to it, i.e. doing lots of slices that aren't particularly effective um, and certainly not convincing, well, they don't, they're not, that's not going to get it done. He's got to be playing out of his mind to play his style of tennis and have it be effective against an Andy Murray. And the the key to it and that movement that you were talking about, Matt, with the, the metal hip, how low he's he is to the ground off so many shots. And it and it brought me back to Steffi Graf being asked in an interview probably best part of thirty years ago when I was a kid. I remember this so vividly being asked what would be your one bit of advice to somebody who wants to play on grass? And she just said, stay low. And there were there were passing shots that Murray hit that were almost Agnieszka Radvanska style, low to the ground. Um, and, you know, these there, there are players who can do it. I watched Isla Tamljanovic play a, a match and she's you suddenly see another player who's just loves playing on that surface and is, is just twice the player that she is on other surfaces. And, and yeah, it's um, it's just a hope, really, isn't it, that Murray can 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 be himself physically because what he put up against Berrettini today and all week long, Berrettini hats off to him coming off a, an injury like that and just getting to the final and winning the thing, amazing. You might say little hat off to Berrettini, <laughs> David. Yes, indeed. Nice, mm. nice. Thank you very much, Matt. Go ahead with your serious. <laughs> well, serious it wasn't commentary. that serious. I was gonna, I was gonna bring up the um, Matteo Berrettini's in the Wimbledon mix, right? I mean, I, th- I Big think time, definitely. Yeah. I always underestimate him. If he, I, if he serves at ninety six percent, I think. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> good I'm, luck to literally anyone. I'm so often guilty of overlooking him and underestimating him. He is, he is like a beefy Italian version of Cam Norrie. He just always turns up. 
You know, he mm. just doesn't let you down. I was looking at his grass court record over the last three years. So since the start of the 2019 season, he's won 27 out of 30 matches on grass. And the only players to have beaten him, Novak Djokovic in the Wimbledon final, Roger Federer in that very quick one-sided fourth round at Wimbledon, and David Goffin. Two of the all-time greats and David Goffin. What a weird record. Are the only players to have beaten Berrettini on grass. And he's won Stuttgart twice. He's won uh, Queens. He's got to the Wimbledon final. And I just think on grass, he is able to cover that backhand so much better because mostly by not having to hit it off his serve, as you said, like when he's serving that well it's almost impossible to get the ball on his backhand straight after the serve and when he does have to hit it his slice is really good and it works on grass so he sort of ticks all of Mary Carrillo's rules you know holds his serve has a weapon protects his weakness he he manages that on grass so so well and I think he played himself into the tournament didn't he he um he lost a set early on to Radu Albot and described his tennis as so-so and then um, by the end, I thought he was playing really, really well. And he kind of looked kind of back to his best already on, on grass. And also on the Carrilloisms Car- front, he's got, he, he's very quietly got some serious fangs going on, Berrettini, I think. Yeah. I, again, it's exactly as you said, David, I, underesti- I always underestimate him and I always underestimate his fangs. Um, you know, we might all think of him as someone who's there or thereabouts, but you know, we're never picking him for the title. But I think, you know, he's backing himself big time. Yeah. Well, usually we're not backing him for the title because there's somebody from the big three around. As Matt's just reeled them off there, the players that beat him typically the are big those three. guys. Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer and David Goffin. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Goffin's back. <laughs> um, so, anyway... Good, a good tournament that looked as well, Stuttgart. Just, just one final point on it. Uh, we mentioned Murray's match against Nick Kyrgios, which was a, a seven-six first set and then a very, very one-sided second set. And frankly, it looked like a tank from Kyrgios in the second set. He got a point penalty, a game penalty, and my my initial reaction was, "This is standard Nick Kyrgios." But after the match, he complained that uh, that he'd heard a racial slur aimed at him from the crowd. The tournament has since put out a statement today saying that they're going to investigate that um, and made it very clear that how distressed they were about the idea of that. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what comes of that, that investigation. Obviously, that's, that's pretty unsettling. Um, a few other results, and, and actually this, this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with, with the Murray... Um, story in as much as first of all the Nottingham tournament WTA Nottingham tournament won by Beatrice Haddad Meyer beating Alison Risk uh, she's another grass court specialist 6-1-1-6-6-3 her first career title but the other story really from a British tennis perspective is Emma Raducanu who is another player who just can't seem to catch a break on the physical fitness side of things I, I watched her match the other day in the the opening round um and seven games in she had to stop she she pulled a an ab a muscle or a strain of some kind in in her side just a, just a handful of games into the match and, and had to shake hands and and immediately pulled out of birmingham also immediately said the the following day initially she said i have no idea if i'm going to play wimbledon the next day she said she thinks she'll be fine and she'd had a scan and 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 here's hoping now i mean fingers crossed catherine first of all for radicana but it just the whirlwind around her is is something to behold isn't it yeah i really feel for for her at the moment look i know it's i know it's a great problem to have obviously oh so many sponsors and fans and attention and interest in my brilliant tennis and excellent personality but it's still a lot she's still only 19 and this is it's still the first time she's had to deal with anything like this and the, it's, it's she's still the only person in her world that can that can understand it how can anybody around her possibly truly understand what it is she's experiencing just now and yeah look it it is it's a worrying series of injuries isn't it none of them sound 
touch wood, none of them sounding incredibly critical, which is great. But, you know, when things like this pile up, it it becomes cyclical in lots of ways, doesn't it? I mean, you must lose trust in your body. Um, I think Andy Murray's been through periods like that, haven't I? I mean, lots of players have, but for obvious reasons, he springs to mind. That must just be a, a horrible place to be in. I can imagine the feeling of panic when you feel something go, when you start to feel a twinge, you know, not again. Um, and it's all it's all bearing a lot of similarity to Bianca Andreescu's year following her US Open win, isn't it? I know for her it was more sort of, one massive injury or I think she had one and then another subsequent injury whereas Raducanu seems to be persistent different niggles Um, but I think it's still you know the body catching up with your success Um, and I think it's very understandable but that's all that's all quite niche and nuanced isn't it you know we're nerdy tennis people her level of fame and success means that the majority of people that are interested in her and want her to do well aren't nerdy and niche about it to that extent and are just thinking what's going on here what's going on um and you know perhaps legitimately so I'm probably like that with other sports that I don't follow quite as closely as closely as tennis and I don't think you know those people are in the wrong for not you know reading up on exactly what it's like for a 19 year old to spend their first year on on tour and to suddenly go from playing extremely little elite level tennis to playing week in week out but but equally I feel for her that she's having to go through this in the spotlight that she is doing and you know all these the the pressure on her to be fit and to play um obviously she wants to for herself and for her own success but you know she's got a lot of sponsors for whom this is their most important time of year and the, the the pressure will will be there for her to to I don't know perhaps play when she's not 100% fit or I don't know it she's she's not making decisions in isolation is she it's there's just so much going on for her and I I, I feel for her and I really wish her well just at the moment I'm I'm really trying to have absolutely as much as I you know desperately love her to have a run at Wimbledon I'm trying to have no expectations whatsoever especially now this injuries come along yeah I, I feel similarly to that um and I've said a number of times personally I'm not not too bothered about her results on a for the next two year two years in terms of her development if if she happens to start going deep into the second week of Wimbledon but not until 2024, 2025, then I would think that that's absolutely fine because she's just won the US Open. But the world doesn't work like that in terms of, of what it does to you. And I think, I, I don't want to speak on her behalf, but just for the first time, I got a little bit concerned for her when I saw her interview with BBC Breakfast um, a, a few days ago. Um done by Sally Nugent, who, who's just an excellent interviewer and, and just puts people at ease. But I just got the sense from Raducanu, when, and she said it herself, this has been a lot. This year has been a lot, really. And oh, it's wonderful, you know, won the US Open, lots and lots of exciting things. But for the first time, I just, and I don't know him, Raducanu, but I just got the sense that, oh, crikey, this is a this is a bit much, some of this. And uh, it and I, I also would be the last one that would ever want to tell her what to do with sponsors or anything like that. You know, you, you choose the sponsors you want and good luck to you. Get as much much enjoyment out of being the US Open champion as you can. But just in terms of what you said about the sponsor requirements, my mind did go back. And I don't, I can't say whether this will be anything like this situation for Raducanu, but I do remember one time interviewing Heather Watson I think back in about 2013 after she'd lost a match in Miami and that's when she was you know young and upcoming and lots of hype around her um and she said something like I'm feeling I'm 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 burnt out I feel burnt out and we reported this we did a story and the next day I got a call saying that some of her sponsors were a bit worried about this this the way she described it because it sounded like she was going to have to miss several weeks or several months even because she's feeling burnt out um and that's not what she meant 
And I thought, okay, well, but that's what she said. Um, and so we, we kind of read the we we kind of did another, another interview off the back of it. She still pretty much says I'm burnt out. She didn't say I'm going to miss Wimbledon, and she didn't miss Wimbledon. She played Wimbledon, but you can see there what the pressure is like that that when you are when you do have lots of people with an interest in how you go, um, even if even if not tangibly, they're just even subconsciously. I think that that can be challenging uh, to 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 make decisions. And I just look, I just want what's best for her. Really, I wanted to to. Uh, to go well um and um yeah i i agree with you i don't i just i'm just i hope she has a great one at wimbledon but if she doesn't fine move on and grow and get used to it in your own time but it's it's not easy there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The other tournaments that took place over the last uh, week, uh, Sir Bosch on the WTA side, Ekaterina Alexandrova beat Irina Sabalenka, 7-5-6 love in the final. I'll just stay with the uh, the WTA events here in Valencia, the 125k. Uh, Zheng, Zheng Chinwen, who we remember pushing Iga Sviantek so closely um, at Roland Garros, she won the title in Valencia in three sets, so good win for her. Uh, Dan Evans beat Jordan Thompson six four six four to win the uh, the men's challenger title on grass. And I'm going to hand you over to Matt to tell us all about the world number two hundred and five, who won the men's title in Sertogenbosch. Catherine breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah, because Matt, his name is. His name is Tim Van Reithoven. And on Monday, we had the same number of ATP Tour wins as Tim. And he has now won an ATP Tour title. He got his first ever win on the ATP Tour on Tuesday in this tournament. He was a he was a wild card. He was quite an unexpected wild card. Um, and he's gone all the way and won the tournament. And I say he's an unexpected wild card because, you know, he's Dutch, so he, he got a wild card into sort of his home event, but he's not exactly been knocking on the door or, you know, I don't think we should feel bad for not having heard of him, for example. You know, he lost in Phew. he lost in Surbiton qualifiers last week to a guy called Otto Vertonen from Finland. Oh, Otto, yeah. Yeah, you know? So 
he'd never beaten a top 80 player before, and he's beaten four of them consecutively to win the title. Hugo Gaston, Taylor Fritz, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and then Daniil Medvedev, who on Monday will be the new world number one. He beat him 6-4-6-1 in the final. And Medvedev said afterwards, you destroyed me. to become me. world number one. <laughs> yeah. Poor Medvedev's not had a good time whenever he's become world number one. (laughs) And honestly, I I mean, I genuinely think it's the most improbable ATP title that I can remember. There may have been others, but it is wild. You know, I've, I've laid out there the background. His tennis was good. His tennis was really good. He's got a single handed backhand. Uh, nice slice, looks comfortable on the grass, big serve. Easy power, you know, I think he he sort of surprises you. He's quite deceptive. It doesn't look like he's taking big swipes at the ball, but the ball pops off his racket. Quite comfortable coming forward um, and just really poised. You know, he won a final set tie break against Ojeel Yassim. He was in the lead against Medvedev and it never looked like he was going to falter. Um, and really, it's just how, completely how old, extraordinary. How old is he, Matt? Is he an up-and-comer? No, <laughs> he's twenty. <laughs> he's twenty-five. Yeah. Is this like when we discovered that Ryan Penniston is twenty-six? It's exactly like that. I thought it, I thought he was seventeen. <laughs> he played his first ATP match back in twenty sixteen. He got it was a lucky loser in Winston Salem, and he hadn't played another one until this week. Six years. He hasn't won a challenger title. You know, Sorry. as I said, it's not like he's been on the cusp of this. Medvedev, I think, knew him from the juniors. I think he was quite a good junior. He's he's around Medvedev's age and, you know, I think Medvedev sort of recognised him from the juniors but was kind of like all of us. Where where have you been? Where have you been? (laughs) (laughs) And and has he been anywhere? Like, is there some ridiculous backstory about how, you know, he went to work at Woolworths (laughs) for a few years or something? No. Or is it just he hasn't been very good (laughs) and now he's... He's got quite good all of a sudden. He's, he's the Aslan Karatsev of 2022. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, similar. Yeah, but there's not been but... a pandemic in the middle. <laughs> and and Aslan Karatsev at least ended 2020, winning a lot on the Challenger Tour and suddenly was able to transfer it. This is, as I said, literally come from nowhere. Um, and I think the feeling is, you know, he was playing the best tennis he's ever played and whether he'll actually be able to sustain it is is another question altogether. But what an amazing story. I mean, just extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Is, is, is this a springboard, Matt, for Van Rijthoven, or is he destined to be uh, the answer to a quiz question at the end of the year? Please don't that make everyone me goes, answer oh, that. Oh, God, what was his name? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Well, David and I definitely aren't qualified to, qualify to answer it, so it's... To you or it's nothing. We'll have a go, though. <laughs> One off. Is it... <laughs> You've just bigged up his game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but where, what's happened for five years? I mean, there's got to be a reason. There's got to so... be a reason. Uh, okay, well, well, we'll clip that, Catherine. So, you know, he's on the, <laughs> he's on the block. That's good. Um, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to watching him play. As I, I need to see the highlights of that final. Um, let's uh, let's have a quick look at the uh, the tournaments that are taking place over the next week before we get into some news because there has been quite a bit of it. Um, first of all, Queens, which um, sees Casper Rude as the top seed. Carlos Alcaraz was supposed to be playing the event. He's pulled out, so Rude is playing against Ryan Penniston, the aforementioned uh, Taylor Fritz against. Jack Draper is uh, is a first round, as is Marin Cilic against Liam Brody. The bottom half looks pretty packed. It's got um, Cameron Norrie against Grigor Dimitrov, Denis Shapovalov, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, Stan Wawrinka, Murray if he's fit against Lorenzo Sonigo, and Dan Evans against um, Matteo Berrettini, which is a heck of a first round, really. But I just that was the tournament last year where I, I realised just how formidable Berrettini's serve is because got a chance to stand right adjacent to the baseline court level and feel that serve coming down at Andy Murray and and the one of the all-time returners of of the sport just 
unable to do anything with it the the brute force of the thing was just genuinely shocking um you felt the hammer yeah yeah i i I felt the hammer i really did um but catherine you 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 got to speak to a number of players today who aside from um i can't remember you told us about earlier (laughs) who who took your eye francis tiafa that's right uh who else um you know you do you did you speak to and and have something to tell well, it was uh, it was a lovely sunny day at Queen's today. And, you know, on the eve of the tournament, the grass is just looking so lush and beautiful and green, isn't it? So everyone was just just delighted to be there and very relaxed and happy. But do you know who I want to be, whose shoes I would very happily step into for an indefinite period of time? Marin Cilic. Oh, yeah. He was a ray of sunshine today honestly he's just this doctor that's told him he's got the body of a 25 <laughs> i asked him about it and his face just the grin sped spread pretty much wrapped 360 around his head <laughs> <laughs> like a cartoon character yeah and he um you know he's clearly just absolutely delighted with his tennis brimming with confidence how could he not be he's just reached a french open semi-final here he is arriving on his very favourite surface in some of the form of his life, quite frankly. He said this this is his favourite week of the year, which I think is a, a pretty massive statement given, you know, he's a US Open champion and reached reached finals of, uh, of two other slams as well. Um, and obviously plenty of other titles to boot. He just, he could not stop smiling. And I know some people are... I like that at Queen's. It tends to be the sort of tournament that people really have emotional connections with. You know, Grigor Dimitrov's like that. He gets this sort of slightly far away, dreamy look in his eye. But Marin Cilic has somehow got the dreamy look, but also the slightly steely look. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not quite going to make a prediction, but, Aww. you know, he's in that top half of the draw. And, um yeah. I think he could do things. I, th- I to be honest, is it's not that big of a, a statement, is it, to say that Marin Cilic could win that title? He absolutely could win that title. He's done it twice before. He's in every bit as, as good form as when he won it those two times. I think Matt's laughing at me. Well, Why are you doing that, Matt? If David said, "I think Marin Cilic could do things," you would quite rightly give him yeah. stick. Agreed, and that's why I talked myself into making it. <laughs> sound better and less crap for the listeners <laughs> Marin Chilich very well might win Queens there you go thank you Matt for, for sticking up for me uh, I'm really appreciate. and even if he doesn't it. I think he'll just be delighted with life <laughs> honestly is he in the Wimbledon mix Ooh, maybe that's one for two let's see time. what he does at Queens let's yeah. see very exciting let's see. if he can pick if he plays on grass the way he played against Daniil Medvedev at the French Open. Mm-hmm. Stand back. Problem is, last time he was in the Wimbledon mix, he lost to Guido Pella. Mm. In the first that, round. That what, I mean, That's look, the one that got away for Guido Pella played well that day, but that has got to be the worst loss of Marin Cilic's career. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he, was pr- he was in like a mix of about three that mm. year. Yeah. Um, that was the year. So... Definitely agree with you on that one. Um, anybody else, Catherine? Anybody else who sort of had a had a far away look in their eye that we should know about? Well, um, yeah, I mean, Grigor Dimitrov sort of always does a little bit, doesn't he? When he's at Queens, he said he'd he said he'd already achieved eighty to ninety percent of his career ambitions, but then he said, yeah, the, he said. And then he sort of, you know, the way Grigor just in that very charming way sort of says loads and but you still don't quite know what he was actually trying to say. He yeah. said, I think I've achieved 80 to 90% of what I wanted to achieve in my career. And then he said, it's, it's, but it's very difficult to, to explain or put my finger on what the other 10% is. And then he said, well, obviously there's a slam, <laughs> which I haven't done, and I would quite like to. Um, I love the idea that, you know, if you went and won Wimbledon, that would only make up 10%. Yeah, just, his... just a really big 10%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but you know, always, always charming. Spoke to quite a few Brits. Um, Cameron Norrie, I think, you know, a bit like what I was saying in Madrid about Cameron Norrie. There's definitely a level of comfort now with his new status in the game that I, I think took a bit of adjusting to for him. You know, saying what's what's different now for you because you're obviously, you know, he's still the same. He's not a flashy guy, is he? He's obviously just as grounded as he ever was. Um, but, you know, he said now he, he's less sheepish about asking top players to practice with him. Mm. He says he doesn't mind. He says they're more forthcoming with asking him to practice and he's bolder with, you know, just saying, do you want to hit? And not worrying that he'll get turned down, which I find incredibly relatable. Um, yeah. He wore some very jazzy shorts, did uh, did Cam Norrie. I I complimented them and he complimented my sunglasses. Oh, right. <laughs> mm. That's what you have to do when you get a compliment. He didn't realise that I was slightly ironically complimenting his shorts because <laughs> they were a little bit horrible. You don't actually know whether he was ironically... He could have been, yeah. And that would have been fair <laughs> enough, quite frankly. Um, Liam Brody, is always, he's always... He's so human. He's one of your Brody, favorites, isn't, he? isn't he? Yeah, he's he, he's just you know, he doesn't talk like a tennis player. He talks like a a real person, um, and uh, yeah, he. Um, I, I just feel like you learn a bit about life on tour when you talk to to Liam Brody. He never speaks in cliches. It's it's um, it's all very real. Um, and he's chuffed to bits to get the wild card. Didn't know he actually needed Andy Murray to beat Stefanos Tsitsipas in Stuttgart to get his ranking high enough that he didn't need a wild card. I believe that's how he explained it to me. Anyway, as I'm saying, it doesn't make much sense, does it? Because the entry list came out. He told me that he didn't find out that he was going to get a wild card until Andy Murray beat Stefanos Tsitsipas in Stuttgart. And then he gave Andy Murray some some sort of... He, he said that Andy Murray had told him to say publicly thank you for making a wild card available for me. Oh, right. Maybe, maybe there's some sort of ranking cut-off he needed. So to, uh... if that's a... If that's a failure, if if that's wrong, then it, it's Liam Brody that needs fact-checking. <laughs> okay, me. fine. Uh, well, we asked you what would been said now we know um right in uh Halle, the atb event they're going on this week uh, they've got a heck of a field um in, lined up for them uh dano medvedev stefano Sitsipas, nick kyrgios sebastian corda felix ogianiasim andre rublev ugo Umber, who's the defending champion and holger rune um are all in the draw so we'll be keeping an eye on that as well um where i was today in birmingham i saw petra kvitova and yelena ostapenko practicing together and they'll be two of the biggest names that will be on show there as is simona halep i didn't know simona halep was playing in birmingham so that's a, that's a good uh, little coup for them um the tournament in berlin was the, is the bigger event on the wta side this week in terms of status and and it had an absolutely star-studded field a lot of them have pulled out I mean there's still some really good players left but uh, Igor Sviantek has decided to pull out and and it is interesting isn't it just how many players we're talking about how short this grass court season is so many players just not playing these leading events now the very biggest names obviously Nadal with with his procedure that he's going through um, looks like Djokovic isn't going to play ahead of Wimbledon and he he's obviously had He's Wimbledon titles without playing anywhere. So there's, it's no longer re- regarded as you have to do that in order to, to win Wimbledon. Um, and Sviantek's just decided, I think she's got a, a little niggle, but I suspect she just wants to refresh, recharge the batteries. Um, and in Berlin, we have Ons Jabeur against Karolina Mukova in the first round. What a what a first round that is. Um, Coco Goff is playing, Maria Sakkari, Irina Sabalenka, Karolina Pliskova, Belinda Bencic, Gabinia Magarutha. Bianca Andrescu with no cocoa because dogs are not allowed on site in Berlin. Controversial. Sneaker in, I say. Okay, Catherine's just breaking rules already. Brilliant. Um, and uh, yeah, can't so say it, no to that face. Mm, well, she fits in a bag. <laughs> mm. <laughs> no chance is anybody going to keep cocoa out if you actually try. 
uh, Bianca. Uh, right. Well, that, those are the tournaments coming up over the next week. Um, but there has been some other significant news in the course of the last seven days. Wimbledon have announced their prize money increases, and it's pretty substantial. The singles champions will take away £2 million, which is up 17.5% on last year, less so than 2019 when the last sort of regular crowded tournament was was played. But still, it's back where it was and more. First round losers are guaranteed £50,000 just for basically for qualifying for the draw via their ranking or if they're getting as qualifiers or get wild cards, you get £50,000 guaranteed. Um, the the qualifying purse is up 26% on last year and 48% up on the last full capacity event in 2019. Mixed doubles has had a good price increase and something that was brought, attention, brought to my attention a, a few weeks ago by the quad wheelchair player Andy Lapthorne. He mentioned that the the prize money that they get for the quad wheelchair events has has been significantly lower than the other wheelchair events and and that has been equaled now by Wimbledon which i think is a is is a really pleasing move um there's also been news from Andrea Gardenzi the chief of the ATP in that his plan his strategic plan that he's had since he came into office has been announced in terms of phase one coming into effect and from January 2023 um, it'll mean that the ATP is going to have several additional long-term 1,000 events that won't all happen at once. Madrid, Rome and Shanghai from 2023 will increase in draw size and go to 12 days. So it'll go up from a 56 draw to a 96 draw and it'll take place over 12 days. So these are effectively becoming near two-week events, just like Indian Wells and Miami. Uh, So that'll be Madrid, Rome and Shanghai. And then from 2025, the same is going to happen in Canada and Cincinnati. Um, I know that uh, he also said in interview with Christopher Clary that he he would also like to see the same happen in Paris in the indoor tournament in the autumn and he'd like for the uh, the event in Monte Carlo to become combined men and women the, these are these are goals that he set out for the future um, but certainly phase one is achieved um, the interview we did with Chris Clary was particularly interesting, as was Chris's series of tweets afterwards. So I'll just read those out to you. Some discussion about organising 250s in the second week of expanded Masters 1000s, but that's been rejected for now. Could be a reduction or consolidation in the 250 category, with some 250s uniting to become 500s and a few disappearing. There is concern among the small fry. Yeah, I'm sure there is among those 250 events. Well, are they wanted? Are they not? Are they, do they have a future? This is phase one of Andrea Gardenzi's plan, basically an attempt to create a more harmonious, somewhat less conflicted ATP. Phase two is even trickier and involves creating more united governance within sport, building off ruins of the Wimbledon mess and integrating further with the WTA. Gardenzi told me, Chris says, that the long-range plan does include adding a Masters 1000 on grass, bringing the total to 10, which with ATP finals, team event and the four Grand Slams would create about 180 days of premium product in tennis each year. What do you think about these plans, Catherine? Um, I like the idea of Monte Carlo becoming a combined event. Mm. I like all the things that sound like more union. <coughs> oh, Billie Jean, not so good. <coughs> Yeah, I like all of the things that sound like more harmony and union. Um, the 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 long the long masters events I'm less sold on. I I, I see the positives. I I do, um, but I'm less sold. Matt what, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um... I absolutely get why the ATP would want them to be longer events. I get why it's good for the ATP if 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 the Masters events are longer and you know if if there's more of them being the same length. I suppose that does make sense. Just as a 
as a tennis fan, which, you know, we all are at heart, I, I don't think the long, almost two-week Masters events are that great, really. Um, just all, all a bit spread out. Um, and, and I do worry about some of those smaller events, which, you know, are the sort of lifeblood of the ATP Tour, really. A lot of them with a lot of history, been going on for a long time. And also... You know, I know that the draws are expanding at these 1,000 events, but I can't think this is brilliant for lower-ranked players. I, I know that I know that part of the plan is that more of the um, more of the profit from tournaments will go to players, and perhaps that will that will help them as well. But it does seem a very top-heavy plan, I suppose. Um, I mean, it, in his words, premium product. You know, it's a focus on the absolute elite level, I suppose. Um, which, you know, absolutely, I'm sure you need to get as good as you possibly can. I just inevitably worry about the the sort of consequences of doing that, I suppose. But I know it's taken him a long, long time to get this phase one through. I mean, I think he, he wanted it from the first day he took over. But obviously, the wheels of change are slow and there's been the pandemic and all of that. So I think it's a big moment for Gaudenzi to, to certainly get, get them secured and... As Chris says, we just we just sort of wait to see whether he can get more of it through now. Mm. And look, it's probably a podcast of the future all on its own. But I think in a week that we've seen in golf, the live tour come into being and threaten the very existence of the PGA Tour with absolutely astronomical sums of money coming in from Saudi Arabia and taking away some of the illustrious names of golf um, and just basically siphoning them off into another tour. Um, I think that really the ATP and the WTA need to to be very concentrated right now because Mm. I can't imagine that something along those lines won't be on the table at some point in the future within tennis. And uh, I, I I hope that isn't the case. I do think tennis needs to make some changes, but I they need to stick together for the good of the sport. You know, we, we listen to a, a golf podcast called No Laying Up a lot, and, and I fear... I feel their fear for the future about the sport that they love and talk about and how fractured and fragmented it's it's going to become and and in their in their words sort of I want to feel things when I watch the sport that I love and I want to feel that things matter and um and you know they've they've got to get this this right for the future um so you know we'll see We'll see how this uh, this one plays out. Um, just a, a final note for this week's show. Uh, we just want to pay our respects to Gianni Clerici, uh, an Italian journalist who died at the age of 91 years of age. He's somebody that I knew throughout the time that I've spent in the sport. Always good fun. Always a, an interesting person to encounter. He'd ask some bizarre questions at times in press, conference, press conferences, but also amuse um players in the process he he wrote a book called 500 years of tennis which is widely regarded as the definitive book on the origins of the sport according to the international tennis hall of fame we've written an, uh, an obituary of him um and i do recommend going having a look at that um and uh, yeah he was inducted into the hall of fame in 2006 in recognition of his immense contributions to tennis as a journalist historian and broadcaster and he's passed away at the age of 91 um, now, just before we go, we have a mascot for the week. And for once, it isn't a dog. It isn't a cat. It is Myrtle, the nine-year-old mule who was rescued by the donkey sanctuary and came to live with Jane Beasley and the donkeys Frankie and Priscilla on Bodmin Moor. And we've got a picture of the three of them. And it's lovely. Can you see that, Catherine? When you said it's not a dog or a cat, I was just about to shout out, is it a donkey? Because do you remember that week that we had two donkey? We had double donkey. Mm, yeah. 
Well, and we that was a got great three. week. <laughs> but Myrtle's the one for this week. So thank you so much to Jane for bringing Myrtle into oh, our Oh, that's absolutely lovely. I'm just trying to load the picture of Myrtle. Stand by. They're having a lovely oh, little meal. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> Oh. And while Catherine continues to go, oh, I'll tell you that uh, my mascot for the whole year is the lovely Darwin. Catherine's is Carter. Matt's is Gerald the Cat, no longer with us, sadly. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Our executive producers and top blokes are Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We do. We have Claude Fight in Luxembourg. Oh, splendid name. Big fan of the name Claude. We have not know any why. tennis players called don't Claude. I don't know why, but I like it. No, I can't think of any. But and I think Claude might be the first listener in Luxembourg that I've heard um, from. And we, we know do we have. Do you remember have... that um, ATP Champions Tour event we did in Luxembourg, David? I do. <laughs> I do remember mm. it very, very That was vividly. a weird time, wasn't it? <laughs> Back in the early days. Um, but still. Uh, I'm delighted and uh, of course we saw a, a player from Luxembourg while we were in Paris because Jules Muller was doing commentary for one of the outlets and uh, I can never see him without thinking of that time that he managed to beat Nadal at Wimbledon in some astronomical scoreline uh, but anyway Claude thank you so much for being our friend thank you who else Claude. we got Matt we also have a Catherine. We have a Catherine Higgins in Hampshire. Hey. Oh my God! They just keep coming. They're everywhere. There these Catherines. So many. How, this um, is... how are we where spelling are the, this one? Where are the Davids? Anyway, <laughs> this is Catherine with a K. Accepted in the church. Yeah. yeah, and she has a tennis podcast. Pet, a black rescue cat called Jellybean. Marvelous. Oh, Jellybean. I think I might have seen Jelly Bean before. I feel like I'm aware of Jelly Bean. Um, anyway, I had a black rescue cat um, when I was a kid. So, what was yours called? Marmite. Right. Peanut and Marmite were my childhood cats. I see. Okay. And now I'm going to have to change my passwords for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Catherine with a K. And <laughs> Thank Jelly you, Bean. Catherine. And finally, we have a double shout-out for Lauren and Christian Rootberg in Malibu, California. Whoa, how cool. And Lauren works at Pepperdine, Pepperdine University, um, where she watched Maya Sharif and Luisa Stefani play in the last few years. Luisa Stefani, the David's a player big like. fan of Luisa Stefani. That's the Mega. one. Yeah. Oh, she's really dynamic. What a what a player <laughs> she is. I would seek her matches out. And get them. Except on. you haven't done for two years. But I have. Yes. I have. I just don't tell you about them because you always laugh at me. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being our friends, both of you. Thank um, you. Malibu sounds fun. Yeah, I want to go to Malibu. You know how the other day, during the French Open, you were asking whether we had um, couples who have tennis names. Um, yes. And we weren't sure what tennis names were. Yes. I can think of Lauren and Christian tennis players, but I don't think they're tennis names. Is that fair? So what have we got? Lauren Davis and Christian Harrison, I've got. For instance. Or Christian Rude. Christian Rude, who was not in our consciousness for some <laughs> 25 years and then has suddenly returned. Christian um, Green? I would agree, yeah. I would agree. Just like Emily, we came up with Emily Webley-Smith, but it's not it's not an iconic tennis name. Sorry, mm. sorry, Emily Webley-Smith. Yep, agreed. Okay. okay, we're on the same page. And I hope that Lauren and Christian accept that with, with grace. <laughs> yeah. I, d I did have one or two uh, two emails offering their their suggestions, who which were rather better than that. So maybe I should have forwarded them. <laughs> anyway, um, Matt, Catherine, uh, have a lovely week at Queen's, Catherine. 
Um, and we will come back. Have a lovely week at Not Queens, David. I will. I will. I'm going to put my feet up and watch it on the telly. Have a lovely time. And we'll be back in a week's time to talk about it. Can't wait already. Um, and as we said, there's if you want more from us, there's loads of stuff, loads of bonus podcasts for friends of the tennis podcast. And it's really friends that enable us to, to go to Grand Slams and and produce as much as we are producing. So we hope you're enjoying it. If you if you are a friend, thank you. Uh, if you're not a friend yet, become one if you can, if you want to, and uh, you can get access to all the other bonus podcasts that we've got. Um, yeah, do tell your friends if you're enjoying the show. Uh, let everybody know. Spread the word. Um, and we will be back in a week's time. See you then. 